Hey guys, this is Over the Neon Rainbow. I'm your host, Anna Yvette. I'm a singer-songwriter producer based out of New York, and over the years I've had the pleasure of working with hundreds of talented artists, producers, and writers from all over the world. I've created this podcast to share some of my experiences in the music industry. When I first started out, I had to learn everything by trial and error, so I wanted to create a helpful resource that I wish I had access to when I was first starting out. We're going to be talking about all of the things on this podcast, the good, the bad, the boring, you know, all that tedious stuff that no one tells you you should be doing, but absolutely need to be doing. (laughs) I really hope that Over the Neon Rainbow can be the bridge to help many of you take music from being your full-time passion to your full-time profession. So thanks for joining me today, and let's get it started. Welcome to the second episode of Over the Neon Rainbow. Today, we're going to be talking about how to read a record contract. But before we get to that, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm so happy with the response so far. I've been getting so many messages about how a lot of the tips I gave in the last episode have been really helpful, which makes me so happy that you guys are making more music and feeling more efficient. So really, honestly, thank you so much. I do appreciate all the feedback you've been giving. And remember, if you do have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in the future, you can shoot us an email over at over the neon rainbow podcast at gmail.com. On to the topic at hand, how to read a record contract. Full disclosure, the title of this episode is a little bit clickbaity, but in this episode, I want to explain and hopefully simplify some of the basic industry terms and standards for you so that when it comes time to read and negotiate contracts, you know what you're reading and you can make the best decision for you and your career. When I was going through the questions you guys had emailed me and messaged me on social media, questions about this topic popped up quite a lot. So I'm really excited to talk about this because I hope it'll answer a lot of your questions and you'll find it helpful as you move forward. I wish I had someone explain things to me when I first started doing music because I definitely made so many mistakes, which I'm sure everybody makes when they're first starting out. But if I can save you from some of the mistakes that I made, I would absolutely love to do so. And also just a major disclaimer, I am not a lawyer. I am not giving you legal advice. Please don't come and sue me. I'm just giving you a general and very basic rundown of what I've learned. And hopefully it's helpful and you can apply it to your own careers. So you finished your song. You're so excited. You love it. You start shopping it around to labels and a label loves it and they want to sign it and you're even more excited. And then they give you a contract and you're reading it and you literally have no idea what it means and it may as well be in a foreign language. That was actually me when I got my first major label deal many years ago. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what a master recording was. I didn't know what publishing was. I didn't know what the difference between a mechanical royalty and a performance royalty was. I had no idea about any of these things. And if you're listening right now and you don't understand what any of those things mean either, do not feel bad. 
That's why you're here and we're going to sort it all out in this episode. I promise you, or hopefully we're going to sort it all out. And honestly, when you Google these terms that you see pop up in contracts, the results you get back are very confusing and the information is also super limited. The industry has also changed so much and so fast with the advent of streaming becoming the main way people are listening to music now that even a lot of the information that's out there that was valid five years ago is completely inaccurate and almost archaic now. So don't feel bad. There's not a whole lot out there to really help educate you. And there's definitely not a whole lot out there on what's a standard and fair deal and what's completely predatory and outrageous. I've also found that a lot of people are kind of hush-hush on what deal they get offered. So, you know, like, I guess the saying, you know, money makes people funny, it's kind of true. But something that you can do is ask your friends, obviously, like, who are also in music. But to be honest, it can be really overwhelming. We're musicians. We're artists. We create. We sit in front of our computers or in dark-ass studios, pouring out our hearts and souls, Making music, and now, especially in 2018, it's not enough to just be musically and artistically creative. We have to be business-minded as well to make sure that our art doesn't get exploited. So, you know, it's a lot. It could be a little overwhelming, but I promise you, it all makes sense and you will get through it. So don't freak out. We got you covered. And do not say to yourself, this is why I need a manager or this is why I need a publisher because honestly, you don't. You need to learn as much as you can on your own and be self-sufficient as much as you can on your own because then you can really be in control of your art and no one can ever take advantage of you. It's like that saying, give a man a fish, you feed him for one day, but teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. So yeah, I'm gonna teach you guys how to fish. And also this way, when it's time for you to get management or to get a publishing deal, you understand what you're worth and what you should be getting and what the standards are and what's just completely outrageous and predatory. When I first started out, I had no idea how anything worked. I had just quit my full-time job to pursue music full-time and I was doing anything I could to make money. So of course I did tons of really stupid things like selling beats that I produced for upfront cash and no back end, no contracts, no nothing, or giving them away for free in exchange for exposure, which please guys don't ever do this. And I'll explain more about this later, why you shouldn't do it. Um, but for me, this meant that even though some of those songs went on to be very successful, I didn't have any contracts in place. And basically, I gave up my ownership for an upfront fee or just for exposure, aka for free, because I didn't realize that you make money off of a song forever. Just gonna repeat that sentence again. You make money off of a song forever. And I didn't even know that because I had no idea how things really worked. No one sat me down and told me. I had no one looking out for me, making sure that I wasn't being taken advantage of. So everything bad that you shouldn't do, I did it because I didn't know any better. I was just starting out. You know, I was I was really afraid to ask for anything because I was just so desperate for an opportunity to get my foot in the door and I didn't know my own worth. I really felt like, oh man, like if I don't do this for free, someone else is going to get this chance and like I just, you know, work myself up about it and, you know, I would just do it. But really the message that that sends is these people know I'm going to do it for free and that's what they think I'm worth, nothing. And why would someone pay me for my hard work when they know they can just get it for free? So looking back and reflecting on it now, I can see that if 
If any of the people I had originally started working with had just given me the information I'm about to share with you instead of just trying to exploit me, things would have been much easier and less stressful. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people get very jaded when they're first starting out because it is really easy to get taken advantage of when you don't know any better. So I really hope that this helps you guys out and makes you feel more confident and, and secure when it comes to dealing with business. But anyway, after I got my first major label placement, I was seriously lucky enough to be introduced to my now lawyer, Adam Zia, who basically taught me everything that I know now. I am so grateful that he is my lawyer. I don't know why he still puts up with me. He's so amazing. He's so kind. He's so patient. And he answers all of my questions because I still have questions even this far along in the game. And I'm sure I always will. Without his advice and counsel, I wouldn't be able to have such a good understanding about how the business aspects of the music industry work. So thank you, Adam Zia. And also, if you're looking for legal representation, absolutely check him out by visiting his website at www.ziafirm.com. That's Z-I-A firm.com. I, I really can't say enough amazing things about him. And I can't thank him enough for how much he's really taught me and helped me. I love you, Zia, if you're listening. Um, Anyway, before I start getting all emo on here, <laughs> uh, I'm going to move on to some basic definitions. Um, I'm going to give you a very general outline of what some of the key words and contracts mean. I'm definitely going to go into greater detail on a later podcast and bring in some guest experts because I'm not a lawyer. Please don't swear me. And <laughs> these are just the basics so you can understand what you're reading and start feeling confident. The first thing you need to understand are these two different terms the song and the record. The song is the musical composition. When I say musical composition, I mean the melody, the chords, the lyrics. For example, let's say you're sitting down with your guitar and you compose a song, structure it out, write lyrics and a melody. That is the song. When you're in your studio and you're creating the instrumental in Ableton or you know whatever you use, that is the song. The record is the final sound recording of the song. For example, when you've taken the song that you've written and you produce it, recorded vocals or live instruments, mixed it, mastered it, and you're absolutely finished, that is the record. It's really important to understand the difference between the song and the record, especially since you get paid differently for the song and for the record. So real quick, this song is the composition of music and lyrics, and the record is the final sound recording of the song. I'm going to repeat these definitions like 800 times in this podcast, so it just drills into your head. So just bear with me. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to talk about the record first. To make things even more confusing for you, the record, which is the final sound recording of the song, is also commonly referred to as the master recording or just simply the master. But all three of those terms mean the same thing. Oftentimes in a contract or just in casual conversation, people just say the master. So when you hear that or you see that, you understand that they're referring to the record. So quick recap, the record is the same thing as the master recording and is the same thing as the master which is the sound recording of the song. Got it? Okay, good. So when a label is interested in signing your song, they are signing the record, which is the final sound recording of the song. In 2018, 
Most contracts you see now, especially contracts from indie labels, are in the form of licensing deals. Basically, the label is offering to license the record from you for a specific period of time, which is called the term, and you are granting the label exclusive rights to upload the record onto all of their platforms. So think YouTube, SoundCloud, and you are also granting them exclusive rights to manufacture physical and digital copies of the record to distribute to physical stores and digital stores like Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, that kind of stuff. In exchange for granting the label exclusive rights to exploit the record, they will offer you compensation in the form of an advance and a percentage of the net mechanical royalty. Or sometimes it's just no advance and just the percentage of the net mechanical royalty. Every contract is different, every label is different, and most importantly, every contract is negotiable. Another few words to watch out for when you're reading a contract. Pay attention to the term. The term is the period of time in which you're granting the label exclusive rights to the master recording or the record. If you see the word in perpetuity, that means forever. So yeah, some labels will license your track forever. Um, and some labels will do it for a much shorter period of time, like 10 years. If the term is for 10 years, for example, that means that when the 10 years is up, you can choose to either renew the license with the label or the master rights for the record will revert back to you if you should so choose. Again, every label is different and everything is negotiable. So now let's talk about what a mechanical royalty is. First of all, whenever you hear the word royalty, that means you're getting paid. Okay, but seriously, what is a mechanical royalty? Well, back in the day, long ago, before the internet, a mechanical royalty meant physical sales. So we're talking like CDs, cassettes, vinyls. Um, I don't know what else. I, I, don't, I don't really know what else there was. A-tracks? Is it A-track or is it like 8-track? I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> any physical replication of the record. So today, mechanical royalties also include paid downloads and streaming mechanical royalties, which is the revenue collected every time you stream on either a free service that has ads or a paid streaming service that the listener pays a fee for. The money that is generated from the mechanical royalty and the streaming mechanical royalty comes from the record. Whatever percentage you own of the record or the master recording determines how much of the mechanical royalty you're going to get paid. So quick example, let's say, um, I have a 50-50 split of the master recording with the label. That means the label gets paid 50% and I get 50% of the net mechanical royalty. Now, it's very common for a major label to offer 15 to 20% net of the mechanical royalty. Now, before you get all upset when you see the contract, because, you know, that seems like not a huge percentage for all of your hard work, you have to remember that there are certain perks with signing to a major label. Major labels have direct access to official Spotify playlists and iTunes front page features, which means more plays for your song and reaching a bigger audience. Majors have a bigger budget to spend on videos and promo and artwork. And typically, major labels usually give you an advance, which is recoupable. Major labels also have relationships with radio stations, and sometimes they'll even help you to get shows as well. Just in general, a major labels network is pretty big. If you have a good team or a great A&R person from the label who is really going to push for you, which is also key to a successful release, 
you might be getting less of a royalty in exchange for all of those other things. So don't be afraid to ask the label what they're offering. And in the end, ask yourself if it's worth it. And if you can, absolutely reach out to people or friends that you know that have had releases with that label just to get a vibe of their experience with them. Um, and you know, this way you know what to expect. Indie labels will often offer you 50% net of the mechanical royalty in exchange for exclusive use of the record, sometimes higher, but 50% is usually the industry standard for an indie label. When you're signing with an indie label, you don't usually get offered in advance, but I personally love, 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 love what indie labels are doing right now, especially with most of these labels being YouTube or Spotify based and having a strong presence on social media. Honestly, it's like having a promotional platform already built into the label so you don't have to spend as much money on marketing or Spotify playlisting, especially if the label already has a strong following in those two areas or if they already have a relationship with a lot of Spotify playlists, official and unofficial, or even better, if the label has their own Spotify playlist that's already huge. It's really important when you're deciding on an indie label to take a look at all of their platforms and how their other songs are performing, because that's usually a good indicator on what you can sort of expect from your release. Obviously, each release is different, but for the most part, you can see, you know, what's up. Most of my mechanical royalty income is generated from Spotify. That's why I also keep talking about it so much. Um, so for me, when I'm deciding on labels, that part is really, really important. I know it's super exciting that a label is interested in signing your track, but remember, you're giving a label a relatively large portion of your mechanical royalty, so you want to make sure that you're signing it to the best label possible for your music, because the whole point of signing a track to a label is because it will help you reach a new audience of listeners that you wouldn't be able to reach on your own. Which brings me to another amazing option, which is to self-release. If you already have a solid following and relationships with promotional YouTube channels and Spotify playlists, there's quite a few really great services out there now to self-release on like TuneCore, uh, Label Engine, Stem. Just for an example, TuneCore offers a one-time setup fee of $29.99 for the first year for an album, and then it's $49.99 for each following year or $9.99 per year for a single. And you keep 100% of your mechanical and streaming royalty. You keep 100% of your rights and your music is distributed to digital stores like iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, Pandora. And TuneCore can also collect your YouTube royalties on the songs they distribute for you if you'd like. And in exchange for those upfront annual fees, you get a monthly music sales report and you get paid monthly from TuneCore as well. So let's say you release in January, you'll start seeing your earnings from a January release showing up in March as accounting. It's usually like about two months behind. So if you choose to self-release with TuneCore after you paid those fees, you keep 100% of your mechanical royalty, which is pretty, pretty, pretty good. So let's just back up a little bit. Let's say you decide to release with a label. You're probably thinking, okay, great, but... How do I get paid from these labels? Every label's accounting system is different. Some labels pay you monthly, which is amazing. Some labels pay you quarterly, which is like, okay. Some labels pay you biannually or even annually, which honestly is kind of really annoying, but make sure you read your contract because it will tell you exactly when to expect payments or statements from that label. I just want to kind of pause this here and tell you a little cautionary tale 
Recently, I had an offer for a song from a sub-label of a major label, which I will not name because that's not very professional and I'm not trying to burn any bridges. <laughs> but the a requested that I give him a percentage of my mechanical royalty. This is totally predatory. If an a requests a percentage of your royalty, absolutely say no. Like, Flat out now, just walk, like walk. That's it's just insane. Unless the A&R wrote a piece of the song or paid for studio time or mixing and or mastering. And even then you can make those like, you know, the mixing and the mastering and the studio time, those costs can be recoupable. In no way, shape or form are they entitled to a piece of your royalty. They work for the label, they get paid a salary and that is a total scam. I know a lot of you guys out there are just starting out, so please be wary. That's definitely not standard industry practice. Oh, also another important term that I just said a few times and didn't explain it all was the word recoupable. So recoupable means it's an advance or a loan that you're going to pay off with your upcoming royalties. So basically it's like the label loaning you your own money before you make it. So for example, let's say you take a producer advance and it's recoupable. That means when the record comes out, you're not going to see any of those royalties until the record has made enough money to pay back the advance to the label. And then you'll start seeing money coming in. Hopefully, if your song does well. (laughs) All right. So quick recap before we move on. The record is the finalized sound recording of the song. The record can also be referred to as the master recording or just simply as the master. And the record is how you get paid your mechanical and your streaming mechanical royalties. And what are mechanical royalties? Mechanical royalties are physical copies of the record sold, paid downloads of the record, and streaming mechanical royalties of the record, which is the revenue collected every time you stream on a free service that has ads or a paid streaming service that the listener pays a fee for. So if you own a piece of the record or the master, you get paid the mechanical and streaming royalties. Capiche? All right, cool. I hope you guys are still following. I know it's a lot to wrap your head around. Do not feel bad if you don't understand this right away. I'm like, you need to re-listen to my voice like a million times. No, I'm just kidding, please. Don't re-listen to this a million times. But it definitely took me a really long time to like understand it. And I still ask my lawyer questions like, Every day, <laughs> yeah, I do it because it can be like it can be really confusing. And honestly, remember, this is just a very basic general rundown of what these terms mean. Every contract from every label is a little bit different and can have different wording. Moving on to the song. The song is the musical composition, like I explained earlier. But I'll just re-say it because that's how I learn things is by just doing it a million times. So (laughs) anyway, the song is the actual music composition. Um, The chords that make up the structure, the melodies, the lyrics. When you sit down and you write like a piano vocal, that's the song. And when you're in your studio and you've done the entire instrumental, that's the song. The song is the musical composition and it is completely different than the record slash master recording. You feel me? All right, so when you compose the song, you are the composer. And if you've also written the lyrics and accompanying melodies for those lyrics, you are also the songwriter. So for example, I've just written an original song on my guitar and I've written the lyrics and the melodies as well. That would make me the sole composer and songwriter of the song. That also means I own all of the publishing for that song 
and I own the copyright for that song as well. All right, now, we are going to talk about performance royalties. Did you know that every time your song is performed publicly, you, the composer and songwriter, gets paid? A lot of people don't even know what a performance royalty is, and their money just sits there, uncollected, for years. A performance royalty is different than a mechanical royalty. A performance royalty is any time the song is performed live. This means any time the song is played on TV, on the radio, which includes terrestrial radio, AM and FM, and internet radio, so things like Pandora, Apple Music, Spotify, and any time the song is performed live at a show or a festival. The best way I can explain the difference between a mechanical royalty and a performance royalty is by using this example. The song Make You Feel My Love by Adele is actually a cover. It's originally written by Bob Dylan. I seriously didn't even know this until I got the sheet music for the song and it says, Make You Feel My Love by Bob Dylan. So anyway, Adele and her label owns the record or the master recording which means Adele and the label get paid the mechanical and streaming royalty for any time her recording of the song is sold or streamed. However, Bob Dylan, the original composer and songwriter, gets paid the performance royalty any time the song is on the radio or streamed or performed live because Bob Dylan and his publisher own the publishing and the copyright of that song. So he gets paid the performance royalty and not Adele and you know her label. So also... Really quick definition, a copyright in music is the right to reproduce or make copies of the song. Only the owner of the song can give permission for someone to copy their song. If you want to record a cover of a song and put it out, you have to get permission by applying for a mechanical license. And you can easily do that through Harry Fox. And once you've obtained that mechanical license, you then have permission to record and put out that song. But how do you collect on your performance royalties? It's actually super duper easy and you don't need a publisher or a publishing deal to do it. All you need to do is sign up with a PRO, which is short for Performance Royalty Organization. You enter your catalog of songs into their database and they collect your performance royalties for you. In the US, the main ones here are BMI, ASCAP, and SASAC. I'm not 100% sure of the other PROs that are out there on an international level, but just give it a good old Google and I'm sure you could figure it out. Um, <laughs> also, be sure to sign up for SoundExchange. SoundExchange is similar to BMI and ASCAP, except SoundExchange only collects for digital performances like internet radio. Um, but you also need to make sure that you sign up for both. So for example, Pandora pays a recording digital performance royalty to SoundExchange and a songwriting digital performance to the PROs like BMI and ASCAP. Also, these PROs pay out quarterly. So every quarter, you should be getting a nice little checky check. Um, so now that you understand that you can collect a performance royalty on your own and the performance royalty is collected from this song, you need to understand that there's actually two different parts of the performance royalty that you get paid for. There's the writer shares and the publisher shares. If you don't have a publishing deal, that means you're already self-published and you collect both the writer share and the publisher share. So whenever you hear people talk about publishing splits, they're referring to ownership of this song, which is the actual musical composition. So the music, the lyrics, and the melody. So speaking of splits, when you're collaborating with other artists and producers and writers, 
you know, like nobody wants to talk business and money when you're trying to be all creative. And I get it. It's like a total vibe killer. But I find it's always best to be 100% upfront from the jump as to what your expectations are from that situation. Before you even start shopping the song to labels, figure out the splits. I prefer to do equal splits on the master, also known as the record, um, and the publishing, also known as the song. But honestly, it really comes down to what you're comfortable with and what you both think is fair. Every song is different. Every collaboration is different. The best thing to do is to write up a split sheet, just saying each of your shares and you both sign it, or you can just put the splits into an email. Just cover your ass just in case anything gets weird in the future and do it ASAP because sometimes you make a song and you forget about it. And then at least you have it in an email if you ever need to circle back. I've definitely been guilty of making the mistake of not having things in writing beforehand and it sucks. It can get really ugly. So just do yourself a favor and get over the initial uncomfortableness, uncomfortableness of it. That's the weirdest word to say. Oh my God. Anyway, get over the initial uncomfortableness of it. I feel like now I'm pronouncing it so weird. Anyway, okay. Um, (laughs) And at least put the splits in an email or screenshot a convo, whatever you have to do to make sure that you're all on the same page and you've got the proof to prove it just in case someone tries to be shady. Now that I've explained that you make money off your music forever from mechanical and performance royalties, I hope you understand how bad doing something in exchange for exposure or a small upfront fee actually is. When I first started doing music, I produced tons of tracks with artists that were bigger than me for free because I thought it would get my name out there to generate more work for myself. But all that did was cost me money in studio time and bring me a clientele that expected me to do things for free. It's a really horrible feeling knowing that you basically gave away a song for free or for a small fee that you worked really, really hard on and then watch it become extremely successful, make tons of money for the artist. They can now get to tour off that song because it blew up or they can afford to buy a house or a car because they own the publishing as well and they got a sync fee for a TV commercial or a movie. And yes, this has happened to me. I cannot explain in words how stupid I feel to this day for doing things like that. But you know, you live and you learn. So please make sure that you don't give away any of your back end. And when I say back end, I mean your mechanical royalty and your performance royalty or publishing. I know it's really hard in the beginning. You know, I've done buyouts for so many vocals and instrumentals for upfront cash because I needed to pay my rent and I was pretty desperate. But looking back on it now, I probably would have at least held on to the publishing just in case the track was successful or if the track one day got synced in a commercial or a movie or a TV show. That's one of the really cool things about music is you never know what song is going to blow up or what song might do nothing at first, but years later might get picked up in a movie or a show. But honestly, that's why I generally don't do buyouts that include publishing money for that very reason. And I hope you don't either. Unless, of course, they're paying you really big bucks to do it. And I mean big bucks. All right. So I've just thrown a ton of info at you. So let's just do a recap of some of the things that we talked about today. The record is the master sound recording of the song. The song is the composition of music and lyrics. The record and the song are two different things. A mechanical royalty and streaming mechanical royalty is how you get paid from the record or ownership of the master recording. So think paid downloads and streaming services or physical copies of the record being sold. A performance royalty is how you get paid from ownership of the song anytime the song is performed publicly, radio, 
internet radio, television, and live shows. A copyright is owned by the composers and songwriters of the song. All right, cool. So go sign up for a PRO if you haven't already done that. I'm not quite sure on how far back they'll retroactively pay you, but it's always good to check. And you never know until you check it out. So maybe I just made you some money. All right, so that sums up this episode of Over the Neon Rainbow. I really tried to do my best to make this episode as easy to understand as possible. And again, I am not a lawyer, much to my Jewish mother's deep, deep, deep disappointment. Sorry, mom. Um, I'm not offering legal advice. Please don't come and sue me. (laughs) Um, I also don't always have all the answers, so I can't stress enough how important it is to have a really great lawyer if you can afford it or surround yourself with knowledgeable friends. Or honestly, if you really don't understand something in a contract, just ask. Most labels will be kind enough to take the time to explain something if it seems strange to you or if you really just don't understand it. Just remember, this is your art. You worked hard on it and it deserves the very, very best. Thanks again for joining me today. And if you have any requests or questions or topics you'd like me to cover on future episodes, you can drop us an email at overtheneonrainbowpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys. Bye.